Hey everyone, welcome back to Sophomore Citizens. I'm Gigi. I'm Liesl. And I'm Lily. So for today's check-in, we will be seasonally based. It has recently turned to springtime. We've experienced the something equinox. I don't know, to be honest, which one it is, but we've had not only the changing of the clocks, but the little babies, the sun is shining and springtime is upon us at the very least here in Southern California. Now, Miss Lily, would you like to tell us about your springtime experience of the moment? Yeah, it's really cold out. There's no spring here. It's probably like 30 degrees. It's very windy. I'm not feeling the springtime in terms of the weather, but I definitely am feeling the springtime in terms of the extended light, which we've spoken on this podcast before about how much we dislike daylight savings and it ripping. I think we like daylight savings. I think we like, we don't like, to be honest, I could never really keep it straight. But I think daylight savings is actually the one we like. Okay, well, whichever one keeps no, but like the, the light. The concept of it is what we don't like. So, yeah, so okay, that's, fine, that's fine, totally fine. fine to just say we don't like daylight savings. We don't like that it's there's changing. That, like that it, it should exists. always just be one. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm definitely feeling the love from that. And I know that my springtime weather is coming. But I would say that the way that I've really been feeling the springtime love recently was that last night marked the first night of Passover which is very symbolic of spring for me. And I had the pleasure of zooming into my family's Seder at home, which was good to like see everyone and get to sort of be home, even though I can't go home this year because we don't have spring break, which is another reason why I don't feel the springtime love. Um, And my roommates and I made a beautiful meal. We made homemade matzo ball soup, which I just need to shout out because I'm so proud of it. And it was so good. We made potatoes and chicken and green beans and um, I'm a lover of matzah so much. I would eat it year round. I think it's so good, which is a somewhat unpopular opinion. So anytime that I get to eat my matzah is a good time. So yes, I'm happy about spring, but I'm not feeling the springtime weather, but I'm very excited to feel the springtime weather. Definitely. How are you feeling about springtime being upon us here? I'm feeling good. Um, Lily, I was going to ask if you've had any nice days. Like I know that in New York, for example, it was like literally 80 a couple days ago. And like, I know Washington DC has had some nice days. Like, have you had any nice days in Wisconsin? Yes, we d- we've had some. It's definitely like a little tease. Like last weekend was maybe like 65 and sunny which especially after it being like 30 feels really warm and you definitely just have everyone outside like doing fun drinking activities fun other outdoor activities so it feels even warmer than it is but then it teases you and it pulls it away and it goes back to like 30 degrees and then it's pouring rain and then it will get warm again so yeah we've had some warm days but not enough right never enough yeah so For me, um, my favorite or one of my favorite parts about living on the East Coast or living in a place that does actually have seasons is the first day of spring. Like I always think that the first beautiful, warm, sunny day of spring is like one of the happiest days of the year. At least when I was living in New York, it was people would just be outside, hanging out in the park, having picnics, throwing balls, dogs abounding you know, and that's just such a stark contrast to 
the experience of the winter where like there's maybe like one or two people in the park like sitting like covered in a million layers just like miserable and then to have the contrast of like people wearing dresses and like feeling all happy and springtimey I absolutely love that contrast that rebirth that reawakening and to be honest here in Los Angeles we don't really get to experience that at all so I feel like my experience of spring is kind of dampened by living in a place with no seasons, but I'm still embracing it, excited for the summer to come, for the good vibes, and of course, grateful for the sun shining, um, you know, a little bit longer. Um, So yeah, I'm very happy that it's spring. Wonderful. So switching gears a little bit, our theme for today's episode is all about fears. So I think first we will just have some general um, discussion on our thoughts around fears. I will begin by saying something that's been on my mind lately um, in regards to fears is just that I've found, especially as I get older and I have more time to kind of sit with my various fears, I learn how some go active and some go dormant for periods of time in a way that feels like my brain, like my brain pathways are either like stronger to be able to like remind me and freak me out about something that I'm afraid of, or when they're dormant, like those brain pathways aren't that strong. And so I'm not as likely to like be prompted to think about those fears. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it does. Um, I feel like for me, the biggest thing that I always come back to when it comes to fears is I feel like most fears at the end of the day come down to uncertainty and unpredictability. Like, I think that that is the major root of most fears. Like, let's take a common fear of spiders. People are afraid of spiders because you don't know, you know, what their MO is. You don't know where they're coming from. They just suddenly like, you know, pounce, you know, and they can, they can dangle from the ceiling. There's this uncertain factor. It could be a poisonous spider. It could bite me. There's all of these variables at play that, that we don't have control over. And that's what makes us fearful. Totally. And I think if you think of other prime fear examples, death, for example, huge uncertainty, like literally not a single person knows what lies on the other side of that. Or if we go with a less um, morbid fear, like public speaking, again, I feel like it's this uncertainty of, is it going to go well? Are people going to like what I have to say? Am I going to stumble over my words? So it's like, I think that you've really hit the nail on the head here, Liesl, that I think you'd be hard pressed to find a fear that isn't somehow related to uncertainty. Yep. And the discomfort of uncertainty. Yeah. Um, This is a little bit different, but just to turn the conversation a little bit, I think of myself as a pretty fearful person. And especially when I was younger, I think I was easily spooked. I also think that fears span, as you've just said, Gigi, like quite a range. There's very morbid things. There's, you know, less. So I'm thinking more in terms of the less morbid side of the scale. I think I was really easily scared, very fearful of pretty irrational things. And I remember being younger and specifically like watching scary movies and them um, keeping me up in the night and uh, that causing me to keep Gigi up in the night when I couldn't sleep. Um, 
I would be so upset with myself for getting so scared because in my head, I was the only person that was getting scared. And when Gigi could sleep after the scary movie, but I couldn't like, oh my God, like what's wrong with me? And I remember thinking to myself, if no one ever told me that I could be scared, I would never feel this scared feeling. And I don't know if that makes sense at all, but it's kind of motivated me to think about this my whole life. And Liesl, I think you're going to know the answer to this. But is fear something that innately we have in our bodies? Or do I think something is scary because I've been exposed to the concept of being scared? Can I comment on that before you answer? Sure. I mean, first of all, we are hardwired to be afraid of things to keep us safe. Like we have to protect our- um, Life and limb. Life and limb. And our like biological mechanism for that is fear. Right. And so I think that I get what you're saying, Lily. And I think I agree that like, if certain things weren't presented as scary, then like they wouldn't be scary. But I think something like death or something that's going to put our lives in danger will always be scary and has always been like inherently scary. Yeah, I, Gigi pretty much took the words out of my mouth that we're biologically hardwired to experience fear as a protective mechanism. But I think that the more interesting part of fear is kind of what you're talking about, Lily, is that we have translated that, you know, very direct fear of, you know, death or injury or serious harm from the wild, from other animals. And as our lifestyles have changed, now we are afraid of public speaking, of spiders, of, you know, social interactions of whatever. And that's a much more nuanced understanding of fear that I don't know that we would necessarily biologically experience that type of fear in the same way that we do now, if we weren't given that concept, you know, from an early age and told, yes, XYZ is scary. And so I do think that though there is definitely a biological factor, there's always going to be societal factors as well. So you're totally right, Lily, that like your brain gets triggered to be like, this is a scary thing. So I'm going to be scared of it. And then once you know, you're scared of it, it can just kind of spiral, you know? I also feel like fears, um, when given the space and the time to fester can become so much worse. Yeah. And I honestly feel like that has been happening on a macro level throughout all of humankind. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? Like kind of, you're saying that like some of these other things that we've created um, as fearful as fearful in my mind like have come about over the years and then the way that they've marinated in our society has has made them that much worse definitely and like I think our our parents and how they react and respond to things or whatever adult figures that we've had in our lives like that really does impact us as kids and not to say like in a direct way, like, oh, my mom's afraid of heights. Like I'm going to be afraid of heights because like a lot of kids are very fearless about stuff like that. But it's like that, that seeing your parent, seeing someone who's older than you, who you look up to, who is like guiding your life, be afraid of something, you know, it's really going to like have an impact on how you, you operate in the world, in my opinion. Um, and I think that that's happening on a macro level of, you know, society in general, creating these fears, deciding what is scary and what isn't. And then we're all kind of like in a communal way, experiencing that together, which is kind of interesting. 
And I think that that conditioning is what kind of I was thinking about as a kid, which thank you, you both answered my question perfectly. I was like, if no one told me this movie was supposed to be scary, like I wouldn't have been scared. Like, why did I have to think of it in this way? And like, obviously that's not the case now that I understand things. I don't think if I was a kid and no one told me the movie was scary, I would have been fine. But I do think it is this conditioning and the way the rest of the world is operating that is motivating fears just to tie it back to what I was saying about me being little and like being so fearful and that all coming into play with what you guys just said. I do think it's interesting that you were saying how you feel like kids are fearless in a lot of ways. And Lily, you're kind of saying that like your lived experience as a kid was being more fearful. And I also am just thinking of how kids don't have a concept or like as clear of boundaries between reality and fantasy. And that's what makes like movies and stuff that much scarier because I do agree part of the beauty of like being a kid is you are living in the moment so well and when you're living in the moment most of the time you're not going to be that scared because probably there aren't that many like life-threatening things right in front of you um but then you know I remember turning on Wizard of Oz and seeing the witch and like freaking out being in the movie theater seeing the Harry Potter goblins freaking out seeing monsters inc randall doing his disappearing dance like i'm scared shitless as a chit as a child you yeah. know like um, it, it is so interesting how like i agree with both of both of you of kids are in some ways fearless and in some ways very fearful yeah and i think that the way that we age and the way that our fears age is sort of the inverse of that where we're not as scared of fantasy things, mm -hmm. but we're much more fearful of like real life things, real life long-term things. Definitely. Because we have more of a concept of permanence, reality, yeah. all yes. those types of things yes. for sure. I would love to know a little bit more because we're kind of starting to touch on this as far as in movies and TV shows, like what we each find most scary or invokes most fear in us now, now, mm -hmm. because I know that for me, um, it's a very specific recipe of what I find scary and what I don't. And I think that for most people, that is kind of the case that like certain movies, like a movie could be objectively like a really, really intense, scary movie. And it could just like not affect somebody. And then they yeah. watch The Wizard of Oz and they're like, you know, sh scared shitless. Like that totally happens. And for me, my recipe, I feel is that in general, like gore, bloody, battle like all of that sort of stuff like I'm totally fine with but like the movie that has scared me the most to my core was Silence of the Lambs and I think that there's a couple of reasons one it is a very suspense based movie it's not like a typical you know jump scare type of movie but like watching you know a woman interact with a known serial killer and him be all like creepy crawly like just literally freaks me out and then the other element of silence of the lambs that really freaks me out is the idea of skinning someone yeah. that is has long been one of my big trigger points like when I when I learned in history class about like scalping um of the you know past um that like literally like triggered something in my soul like I was like how 
just that happen like the idea of skin being peeled and removed I cannot I agree that. when people try and tell me to watch Midsommar I'm like I know that there is some carcass behavior uh-huh. I'm like I don't want any part in the carcass behavior <laughs> and Lisa I really agree that there is a recipe factor for each person because I've even like thinking back to the um most recent kind of like scary movie experience that I had I was told going in like okay this is a like psychological thriller or whatever Mm -hmm. so again like it does kind of put you on edge and when the expectation is this is going to be scary like something suspenseful you're like "Uh, is this gonna like really f me up or am I gonna be okay yeah and in the case of this movie I was ultimately like oh this is not that bad it? it was memento um, which is a Christopher Nolan movie um, from maybe like 20, 30 years ago. And like, I thought it was going to be so much scarier. And so when I was having this suspense, I was like, oh my gosh, scary, scary. But then when I was realizing what it was actually leading to, I yeah. was like, oh, I'm like, honestly, not even that scared of this. I will say anything demonic count me out right I don't want which doesn't any, bother me as much I don't know what it is I have a personal issue with, <laughs> with Satan with demonios <laughs> with Satan <laughs> with ghosts spirits yeah. like I am a 22 year old woman and this is something I've dealt with my entire life and you know it's all the uncertainty yeah. like it's literally all yeah. the uncertainty and the scary scary comes from being like oh my god I never want to be faced with any of this evil energy <laughs> right you know first of all Liesl I think you absolutely hit the nail on the head with there is a recipe and I, when you two are explaining your recipes and I will explain mine in a moment it's just so crazy to me that fear is so individualized because like Gigi demonic for me like <laughs> <laughs> I don't care. And like, again, Wait, I can, can I also say-, say, can I also just add that um, being like watching at night and watching like, yes, watching at night, night, it's literally <laughs> night and day. <laughs> no, it is night and day. And that is a perfect transition into my recipe, which again, I am a fearful person, but I have this weird um, side of me that I really like true crime and I consume a lot of it and it does not scare me at all. I listen to a lot of podcasts, a lot of, I watch a lot of like crime stuff that has no effect on me. And I think it is because my recipe is the effects and things that happen around the content. So let me explain a little bit more, starting with watching in the night, second with like the effects. So the reason that true crime, I think, doesn't scare me is because it's presented like a story. It's more like a journalistic account, whereas watching something that is frightening that's supposed to be scary, like if there is scary music and suspenseful tone, that freaks me out. Even if the content isn't that scary, it gets to me more than if it's presented in a more neutral tone, which I think that would be the case for most people. But for me, it's everything that surrounds it so like if I'm watching at night if the other people I'm with are scared like the other night we were I was watching a tv show with my roommates and I didn't think it was scary but afterwards my roommate was so freaked out that she like made me go in the bathroom with her and check behind the shower curtain and I was like oh my god am I supposed to be scared and then I got in my bed and I kept seeing the man's face but like I wasn't scared at all when we were watching so I was like it's everything else I will say just tying back to what I said at the beginning of active versus dormant fears 
I feel like true crime for me is one that can sit in dormant or active, depending on what I'm viewing and how my mental space is. Because if you think about it, true crime is in some ways the scariest of the scary. You know, like it is- it actually happened. It actually happened. And it it's usually like heinous, disturbing accounts of real people's experiences. So the idea that like that could happen to me, it could have happened to me, like any of those kinds of thoughts, once you activate them, like it's difficult to not feel scared or to not then live your life be be like to then live your life being like ah I'm so scared of everything all the time and so I've definitely in the last few months had the experience this was a set off by watching the Night Stalker on Netflix I don't necessarily recommend it because it did sort of plague my mental space for longer than I would have liked Um, especially because as I'm saying, sometimes I can walk away from true crime being like, okay, I've just experienced the story. Like I learned something, blah, blah, blah. And sometimes you walk away, like I'm now afraid to try and go to sleep, or I'm afraid to try and walk out to my car at night, or I'm afraid to do literally anything. And so, you know, I think I'm, I'm glad that I now know that about myself, that true crime is something that can sit in that land of journalism and whatever, or it can sit in that world of genuine fear and actually like making me really freaked out. Totally. And I think like for me with true crime, especially, I feel I get most freaked out if I feel like that could have been me or like, you know, if I feel personally connected in any way, shape or form to the story, like for example, with uh, Amanda Knox, um, having murder happening while studying abroad in Italy, um, that hit a little too close to home for me, especially because I think I was in Italy studying abroad when I watched it. Um, and, but overall, like I wasn't really that scared, but there, I did have moments where I was like, OMG, like this could happen to me. I would just like to tie back again to, um, a point that I made earlier about the time and space of fears festering. For me, that is also like at its peak when I'm trying to sleep. If I'm trying to sleep and I can't fall asleep, that is literally like, I know that we were talking about recipe in terms of viewing, but if we're talking recipe in general, it's when you're trying to fall asleep, but you can't fall asleep. And obviously that's going to mean that you're all alone most of the time in the dark. And that's when you're most vulnerable and you're given, (laughs) you're given like hours or, you know, however long it takes you to fall asleep to just be thinking, yeah to just let those fears run wild in your mind and that how that plays upon your psyche is just uh, I don't wish it upon my worst enemy the other thing I was gonna say is I think it really matters who you're watching with and what their energy is like like if they're also scared it's over if you're by yourself cloak of night like you know, it it can be a recipe for disaster. But if it's like, you know, early in the evening with like five friends and no one's really scared and people are kind of talking, all good. I also think, I also think laughter has a like counteracting palliative effect. I think that like the chemicals in your body that feel fear, laughter can scare them away. Yeah. I agree completely. And this is exactly what I'm saying of like, I am not afraid of content as much as I am of like the setting and everything else happening. Like multiple times in my life, I have watched really unscary things that would not scare 
anyone else, but because I'm watching it by myself at night, my brain goes down this rabbit hole and fear seriously manifests itself in me by way of um, affecting my sleep. It always has, and I hope that it won't always will, but maybe it will. Um, and it, it it could be something that's not scary at all, but it all has to do with the setting and the outside factors and I don't like that at all, but it's not a content thing, which is interesting for my recipe. Okay, shall we move on to our own personal experiences of fear? And maybe we can each try to tell a little bit about how we try to overcome our fears or have overcome our fear, overcame our fears. So as I've already touched on, ghosts, demonios, (laughs) um, death, the unpredictability of the spirit world, you know, serial killers, anything that can get me in the night, like, mm-hmm. don't come near me. Yeah. I'm afraid. And if anything, I don't even think I'm in a position to um, give any kind of suggestion or like, tell any experience that has like, ameliorated these fears in my life. If anything, again, going back to what I said earlier, just trying to weaken the brain pathways, which just means like to the best of my ability, distracting myself. Mm -hmm. And, you know, actually I feel like people have laughed in my face when I've said this before. TikTok has been a very positive force in my life in this sense that it has just an amazing ability to occupy my mind in those kinds of times for endless hours if I need. And I find it really comforting to just have my brain distracted so that those brain pathways are not being given that time and that space to fester, to marinate in these fears. I'm able to then just move along in my brain to whatever is being presented in front of me on my phone screen, which I don't necessarily recommend as a healthy coping mechanism for like everything but I know for myself that like when it comes to anxiety and fears of the night TikTok is a pretty um non-harmful way for me to occupy my brain until I can like comfortably go back to sleep totally so the main fear that I wanted to talk about in this episode that I have had for quite a long time is the fear of downhill motion um speed um etc So basically for pretty much as long as I can remember being on a bike, a scooter, a trike, whatever, going downhill has always really freaked me out. And I think that like my unpredictability hypothesis fits well with this because when you're going downhill, there's so many, like, there's this feeling of free fall and unpredictability. And like, you could just fall in a different way, in my opinion, to how it feels when you're on flat or when you're going even uphill, you know, when you're going downhill, it just feels like there's this, there's this X factor that at any moment, you know, you could just really pick up speed and you won't be able to stop. And that's what has always really freaked me out. So I've always been just a very cautious bike rider. I hiker, hiker. Oh yeah. I don't like walking on hikes (laughs) downhill at all either. Um, especially like, you know, the rocks, the twigs, the branches, the mud, the, all of that. It's so unpredictable. Like, I don't understand how people go hiking as an enjoyable fun time activity, but I'm, I'm working on it. 
There are also, I think there's like, different hikes. Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, I've definitely been on hikes that have been like, how could anyone not feel anxiety, like riddling their body going down, this, going yeah. down this. And then there are hikes where it's like, oh, this is just an enjoyable nature walk. Like, yeah. and yes, there is some incline and decline, but it's never like, you know, oh, I could go down 90 degree angles at any time. Yeah. And like, for me, it's so not a fear of heights. Like if you took me and just grabbed me and put me at the top of the mountain, I would be fine. Like, I'm not scared. It's the going down and the idea that I could fall and like, or like that, that, that motion, that whole thing. And I don't know. But what if you're feeling the fear of falling from the top? As long as I'm stationary, I usually don't feel that. Okay. Okay. It's only when I'm having to move. And usually when I'm having to control myself, but also like uh, the only reason I ask is because the uh, one hike in particular that I've done a couple of times, um, living in San Luis Obispo, the top of it is like a rock that you have to like kind of rock climb onto, which I first of all already don't like. And then second of all, it's like, you know, not a huge space. Like there's a difference between being on like a path or there being a a clearing at the top of a mountain versus being literally on top of a rock on top of a mountain. Right. And like at any moment being able to fall off. Like I remember, I remember being like, you know, I'm not having that much enjoyment. Like sure it's fine, but I'm just going to be excited when this is over because then I will be done with the anxiety of what could happen when I um, am on my way down. Yeah. Um, so I've always been very afraid of this. I had a moped incident um, a couple of years ago on the island of Nantucket. We rented mopeds and the need for speed just, you know, did not suit me well. I, I did not like being in control of this vehicle that could just go fast, go down. And I just felt it's like in my brain I picture myself falling over and over and over and over again like that's what I experience when I am going fast like I just see myself falling a million times another area that this has ruined for me is skiing so I've only been skiing once and it was okay I didn't hate it but I really struggled to enjoy it because I think that a lot of the joy of skiing comes from that free fall, like woo, wind in my hair, like not a care in the world, like woo. Lizzie, you're supposed to wear a helmet when you're skiing? Oh yeah, okay, wind through my helmet. Um, <laughs> but so basically recently, my cousin has been living with us and he's very into cycling and around LA, there's a lot of mountain and gravel opportunities to cycle up in some fire roads and in some mountainous trails. So I decided that I would, you know, make an attempt to overcome my fear and hit the mountains. So to prepare for this, we did some small bike rides just on normal roads. You know, I did some downhill and everything was, was great with that. And so then we went to the mountain and I was able to be on my bike and go, you know, mostly when we were going up the the mountain, it was kind of a little woo, woo, woo. It was not like all uphill. It was like up, down, up, down, up, down, but it was kind of gradually going up. And of course on these, on this, this road, there's all kinds of rocks and twigs and stuff that could definitely like get caught in your wheel and you could go flying, you know, off of your bike. Um, but something happened where when I was on the downhill going down, I finally felt the joy and the freedom and, and the, the carefree 
quality that I think people experience a lot when they go downhill. And I wanted to go fast and I wanted the speed of the downhill. And I wasn't picturing myself falling over and over and over. And I felt safe and I felt in control and I felt good. And I think that the way that I was able to get to that point after that being one of my biggest fears was a couple of different things. I think one, doing it with my cousin who is an experienced cyclist, who I know if I got injured, he would be able to figure it out. That helped ameliorate my anxiety a lot. On top of that, the fact that he knows that that's one of my fears. I feel like sometimes when when I've been afraid of things and the people around me don't know that I'm afraid of it, that amplifies it and makes it so much worse. Like I've definitely been on hikes going downhill before where the other people are just like, do, 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 do. and I'm like feeling a lot of anxiety and fear going downhill. So like just being open and sharing about my fear, I feel like really helped me overcome it and working up slowly, but surely. And knowing that I wanted this, you know, to be my goal was to not be fearful. So personally, I feel like I have made huge progress in overcoming this, this fear. It's not like gone by any stretch of imagination, but I feel like I've definitely worked on it a lot. And I would like to maybe one day be able to get, you know, to the skiing, get to the, you know, hiking without boundaries. Liesl, I also think part of the skiing thing is that as a skiing novice, you're feeling out of control. Yeah. So like, yeah, you're literally just going down with no, like, you know, sense of direction or control over anything. Whereas, you know, Lily, an expert skier, I'm sure is able to, you know, hit the slopes and they don't hit back. Right. You know, so they don't hit back. That's right. Yeah. So I think that, um, you know, I'm glad that you're opening this, this part of your mind, your body, your soul, because I think there is so much opportunity for fun and adventure later on in life with some of these activities. Yeah. And like, of course, like you need to practice, you need to start slow. You need to take small steps in the right direction and, and just, just be patient with yourself and open and honest with, with yourself and the people around you about when you're afraid. Cause I think that that helps a lot. And I also think like, as you said, having the right environment or the right people around you is key to making you feel like it's a safe, comfortable environment, as opposed to like when you're already feeling on edge and scared and anxious to then have someone who's not understanding or patient or like helpful. I think that that can, that only further discourages people from trying to overcome fears. Yeah. And I think like at the end of the day, even from a therapeutic perspective and a psychological perspective, the best way to overcome a fear is to slowly but surely expose yourself to more and more and more of that fear. I uh, See, I think as I had sort of said in my um, personal experience, like, and this is even something that I have um, talked about with my therapist and tried to work through with my therapist. And she has sort of offered the two options of either doing like, you know, incrementally larger exposures or trying to just stop the the thoughts and for me because a lot of my fears aren't rooted in reality they are so like spiritual (laughs) ambiguous like weird or not I mean it is weird but you know in this space where we're speaking with an open mind about our fears um I won't say that like I can't like right. the, you can't expose yourself not over only, and over to ghosts. Not only like, can I you know. not expose myself, but like it will only 
as I said, strengthen those pathways in my brain and make the anxiety around it worse, which I would like for us to talk about our thoughts on the relationship between fear and anxiety. But first, I would love to hear from Lily about whatever fear it is that you'd like to share with us for today. And then we'll get to that um, question that I want to pose to the two of you. Yes. So um, I will just start with my less serious fear, which validates Liesl's, um theory of uncertainty, which always has been birds. I am very afraid of them. And I think it is because they have a power that I don't have, which is flying. And it makes me very nervous to be around them when I have no idea what they're going to do with their wings. And it's not like I have wings to fight back. So they just feel like these alien creatures and I don't get it. And I really feel terror in my body when I see birds or I'm near birds. Um, on a more serious level, my fear is being alone. I have a very serious problem slash fear with that. And that, as I mentioned earlier in the episode, kind of goes back to my fears manifesting in terms of my sleeping, which when I think about it, and as you said earlier, G, that is when I am alone in my bed and I feel like I am, I'm not secure and there could be an intruder it's not even what there could no be one, there's no one to share it with like even just yeah. talking about it like releases it in some sense when it's just literally like pinballing around your body getting worse and worse with each like thought that is it's terrible yeah yeah so this fear of being alone really manifests itself in so many ways and is also quite broad so I will say I don't know. I'm only, um, you know, a small fraction completed my life thus far. So I don't know exactly its root, but I can say that it takes shape in a lot of ways. When I am going to bed at night, I can get very afraid being alone. When I'm walking alone on the street, I tend to think of all the bad things that could happen to me long-term. What if I'm alone forever? You know, it just really manifests itself in many ways. And one of my roommates, her dad is a psychologist and we regularly talk about our fears. And when she was younger, when she was afraid of things, she used to have to either draw them on a piece of paper or if it wasn't something you could draw, write it on a piece of paper and put it in a glass of water to watch it like disintegrate. And she knows that I tend to be a fearful person and that I also have some um, unresolved fears from my childhood one of which being a movie that I um, am sort of calling out in this episode that kept me awake all night and Gigi had to stay awake as a product of it. And we were talking about this movie and I was explaining to her how it still terrifies me. And I was in a class, this is a very long-winded statement, but I was in a class last semester that was um, learning about the relationship that children have with the media. And we had a unit on fear. And one of our assignments was writing a paper about something that scared us as a kid and how we worked through it and pulling in all these concepts of why it scared us and what we had learned in class. And you had to go back and watch part of what scared you. And I put it on the TV and had to turn it off. Like even the music, you know, 10, 15 years later, absolutely terrified me. And she was like, okay, clearly you have some unresolved fear from this. Let's work through it. So I know that this doesn't necessarily always work, but I really will say that writing it on a piece of paper and drawing it out and putting it in a glass of water and watching it disintegrate because this was a fear that was 
so far-fetched and not realistic at all helped me to see, okay, this is, this is out of sight. This is not something I need to worry about. So yes, I know that's maybe a little trivial, but I will say, I think that's a great coping mechanism. And I don't know that that's going to cure my fear of being alone or my fear of birds, but it was a good step in at least treating a fear of the past. No, I think that that's a great piece of advice. And I think that like, you know, fears are living in our heads, you know? So when we can create some type of physical manifestation and overcome it in the physical world, sometimes that can definitely help to, to bring it out of just being in your mind and bring it into the real world, which I think is very valuable. I would also like to add, um, you know, not that this is anything groundbreaking because we've already even touched on this, but I feel like um, the fear of death is something that plagues all of us in some way, shape, or form. Um, and I think that this is another thing that I sort of, you know, have a uh, fluctuating relationship with in my life, where sometimes I'll go like months without thinking about death. Like, obviously, as young people, like, we all kind of live our lives as if we're invincible and we sort of see a lot of people in our lives as invincible. And so it is easy to sometimes go like stretches of time without really thinking about it. And then sometimes I'll like have very real moments of like trying to conceptualize my life ending at some point. Um, and obviously it's not a nice thing to think about and not something to dwell on. But again, like I think having conversations about it or bringing it from just your own um, mind, internal. yes, your your internal experience into the external, I think that it does make it um, slightly easier to cope with in some way. So if we are ready, I would love to hear your thoughts on the relationship between fear and anxiety. Cause I feel like both of these words have come up multiple times in tandem or separately on this topic. And I wanna know what you both think about, about the two. For me, they're nearly inseparable. They feel like best friends. I, when I think of fear and the way that it makes me feel, I think of anxiety. So when I feel anxiety separate of fear, it feels like X. And then when I feel scared, it feels like X. So therefore I'm feeling anxiety when I'm scared, if that makes sense. So anxiety feels like the way my body feels when I'm scared. And I don't think that I've ever been scared without feeling anxious. Mm, that's interesting. Um, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like, you know, these are just words that are encapsulating different experiences. And so everyone will have a different interpretation of how these words or experiences operate in their own life lives. Um, for me, I feel that anxiety sits at the intersection of scared, so fear, and nervous, which for me, feeling scared and feeling nervous, they're cousins, but they're not, you know, siblings, they're not the same. So for me, sometimes anxiety will come strictly in just a nervous fashion and sometimes anxiety will come strictly in a you know fearful fashion and sometimes it will be fearful nervous and anxious Ooh, you know what I mean like the trifecta the the dark triad the dark triad <laughs> um but 
you know, I think that like those three feelings, you know, they operate together and they also operate separately. Um, and I think that it's just, they just serve as helpful labels to kind of distinguish for me personally, like what I'm really experiencing in that moment. Because I feel like when I'm riding on my bike downhill, you know, I'm in the fear zone, but I'm not anxiety. I'm not always feeling anxiety. The thing though, is you used those two words multiple times when telling your story. And that's why Mm. I was then sparked to ask this question. That's interesting. So it's interesting that when you reflect on it in a conscious way, you didn't necessarily bring the two together, but when telling your story, that's, that's how it presented itself. Right. And I, but I, what I think I'm trying to illustrate is that sometimes when I'm riding downhill on my bike, I'm just feeling straight fear. Sometimes I'm feeling so nervous and sometimes I'm feeling anxiety, fear, and nervous. Like that, that trifecta definitely has come into play many times, like on the, on the moped, when I had my nervous mental breakdown, I was experiencing all three. You know what I mean? Right. Okay. I thank you both for your answers. Cause I agree with both completely. Lil, I had even sort of when thinking about it on my own, also thought of fear and anxiety as friends. <laughs> so like for me though, it's not necessarily like you had said that the two feelings both feel like X. So they are like in tandem in that way. For me, it's more so that anxiety has like perpetuating power of fear. Like a fear will will arise and then it is the job of anxiety that will keep it going and going and going. Mm. You know, like I think that that is how it most commonly manifests for me personally, because I think of fear as slightly more um, like centralized in a moment or in and, and yes, it can come up in multiple moments, but it, the feeling itself is more of a flash. Mm-hmm. And then for me, anxiety has that inertia. It has that, it has that power in a constant velocity. Yeah, the inertia of anxiety. That's my new band name. <laughs> <laughs> you know, Ju, when you say that, it makes me think of a relationship that I have with fear that I'm only now just exploring, which I don't know if this is for everyone else, but at least for me, Fear is a fire, let's say. We're really getting um, really <laughs> metaphoric. But fear is a fire. And fire <laughs> cannot exist without the oxygen. <laughs> yeah, many factors. It needs wood. It needs oxygen to fuel fire the fire. Fire can exist without wood. <laughs> well, it needs something. It needs different yeah, oxygen. oxygen. Ox- I said oxygen in the <laughs> Lily, Lily Let said it go the down. Term. Gigi comes out with wood. <laughs> okay, sorry. It needs these things to breathe life into it. And for me, kind of like I was saying earlier of like the conditions, which I don't know that I'm articulating this super clearly, but when other things perpetuate fear, it makes me feel so scared. And as I said, that makes me feel anxious. So when I feel the anxiety, just like you said, G, that is the oxygen feeding the fire and heightening my fears. Or when there's really scary music, but the content isn't that scary, that's making me feel anxious because I feel like I should be scared. Or if everyone around me is scared, that's the oxygen that is fueling this fire that is fear. 
Wow. Lily, that was such a powerful metaphor you just shared with us. Thank you so much. Well, you tried to take it away from being powerful by <laughs> yeah. making me sound dumb and saying, what? <laughs> Thank you. Um, all right. Well, I don't know about you girls, but I think I have laid it all out on the table today. No, I feel and like- I'm really proud of our all of us for having this time of reflection on, on the topic of fears, for having the self-growth for having the introspection and the vulnerability and, and the vulnerability to to put it all out there and i and i would implore any you know wise babies out there to take some time to reflect in a similar fashion like i really think that reflecting on on fears with your peers is a really great thing to do Liesl, i agree completely again to bring things full circle giving fears the time and space that they deserve in a healthy and then environment moving on. and then moving on is a great way to cope with them totally as opposed to giving them the time and space in a yucky bad environment and just letting them consume your whole life exactly yeah. I really do think talking about your fears even if it's in a very casual way is helpful nearly a hundred percent of the time yeah all right, wonderful. So I think it's high time we move along into our recommendations for this week. Lily, I heard you have one for us. Yes, I do have a recommendation and it fits perfectly on our topic of fear because it's a little bit scary. Um, and it is a book that I just finished called Verity. And Liesl has also read it so she can maybe weigh in a little bit. But I think this book is tied with another book for my favorite book ever. And I enjoyed it so much and I wish I could unread it so I could read it again. I just have nothing but positive things to say. So if anyone is looking for a new book, I highly recommend the- Of the creepy crawly variety. You need to specify if you're looking for a book of the creepy crawly variety. But not like, it's not like Stephen King. Like, no. So don't like think it's like going to be gory, you know, no, super it's bad not horror. It's just a little suspenseful and like a little weird. Like it's yeah, definitely, definitely not like your weird. average, like walking down the street, like some weird stuff goes on. I love and to read walking down the street. <laughs> um, and so it's called Verity by Colleen Hoover. Is that her name? Yes, that's her name. And um, she's so such a talented author and I'm reading another one of her books right now. So please read it. And if anyone reads it and wants to talk to me about it, I really feel like I need to have book club about this. So you can feel free to DM me on Instagram at Lily Zoller or at Sophomore Citizens and I will respond. Thank you. Yes, I had heard a lot of hype before I read Verity and it wasn't necessarily my personal favorite type of book but I did really enjoy it and I really enjoyed the book that Lily is currently reading called Layla by Colleen Hoover which um is also kind of spooky scary but not like anything too crazy also actually involving ghosties Gigi so I don't know oh my if god I, for you. I'm gonna steer clear um and my recommendation is actually an oldie but a goodie I don't think I've ever recommended this on the show but one of my favorite um, shows of all time, honestly, is Succession, um, HBO show, and we are currently re-watching it, and I just think that Succession is the perfect blend of engaging for the mind, interesting characters, makes me laugh out loud, visually pleasing to watch, and it, it just sucks me in, like, I'm just so engaged by it, and I feel like that's so rare in shows, like, there's so many shows where I want to go on my phone, or I get distracted, or, like, I'm just not, like, in the world like when I'm watching Succession I'm just in that world I feel like we have talked about it on the on the podcast before maybe we have mentioned it I feel like we haven't because why would it have come up I don't know but I mean either way check it out if you are looking for a new tv show yeah, and HBO. I think like 
I think that that some people get intimidated by it and I think I I also felt intimidated by it because I thought it was so like businessy and just like serious but it's really not that serious it's it's it has a lot of jokes it's a funny show in a lot of ways and if you have seen the film The Big Short and you enjoyed that film I think that you would love Succession. Wonderful well thank you both for speaking with me today. Thank you for listening to Sophomore Citizens, the podcast by young people for young people with new episodes every Monday. So be sure to check us out on YouTube, Instagram, Snapchat. (laughs) Actually, we don't have Snapchat. (laughs) Um, Send us an email, sophomorecitizens at gmail.com. Any comments, questions, concerns, suggestions, please leave those there. And don't forget to leave a five-star review.